All right. If, uh, if you identify with the guy who's enjoying the view, then we need to talk. But you didn't really come here to listen to what I think about these things. I know you came to hear about what Jesus thinks about these things. And so the big question this morning is, what does Jesus have to say about spectating and serving? Well, if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 30 this morning. I want to begin a series that uh, will take us on for a few months, probably even past Christmas, which is called Go Big. We've come off of a series called Live Big. Now, we now need to talk about going big. And um, we want to talk about something that has movement and momentum. And, and the scriptures talk a lot about that. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about being. And being the kind of committed people we are in Christ. And, and what Christ is doing in our lives. And how he's transforming us and changing us. And, and that our character counts. And, and all of that matters. And, and the being is a very significant issue. But we need to talk about some doing for a while as well. Because... Uh, Christ talks about movement, he talks about going, he talks about, about momentum and, and advancing the cause of Christ. And, and just as the emphasis is placed in the scriptures on being a follower of Christ and, and, and being a person of, of character and, 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 and commitment to Christ, he talks about what it is to be a servant of Christ. He talks about what it is to go and, and advance the kingdom and the cause of Christ. While we are, uh, before we turn our, our attention to the scriptures this morning, though, I just do want to take a chance, an opportunity publicly to say how thankful I am uh, for the great team that I have here at Calvary Baptist Church. I, you're all, you all came back Sunday morning, so that means they all kept you here, and, uh, and that's an amazing thing, and I, I'm so grateful to Pastor Steve and, and John and Calvin and Dwayne and Ken and, and, um, and the whole team that uh, um, is an amazing team here. And, um, and Graydon and, and, and everybody. And I know you wanted to give them, uh, have an opportunity to, to express your appreciation for, for all that they do around here. But uh, they are a great team and a great group of men who give great leadership. And they're great friends of mine and brothers in the Lord. And I love them to death. And I'm really, really glad to be back at Calvary. Um, it was a great time away. And, and we'll talk about it next Sunday night. I'm going to talk a little bit about sabbatical and things that I learned and some stories that... Uh, we won't be able to contain in one service, but you'll hear them, I'm sure, over, the time, over time. But it was a really, uh, really amazing and enriching time. Uh, the only thing that was really a struggle was to have to be away from Calvary every week. Because sometimes I was in town here and I'd think, man, I'd rather go to Calvary. But I can't really go to Calvary because that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'd have to go and hide from you somewhere in some other church and, and wish I was at Calvary while I was at the other church. So anyway, but it's really great to be back with you. And, and uh, so I love you to death too. And, and so I, I really miss you. I prayed for you. And, um, and I know God's doing great things. I heard great things about the summer and what God has done. And I'm excited about what continues to happen. And, and so we're looking forward to a great fall. Well, I know your, your Bibles are open, so let's look at them. And, and by the way, this is a parable that is sort of the, the third in a trilogy in this section where, where Jesus is talking about what he expects to find in a waiting and watching community of people, waiting for his return. And, and the key word, of course, in verse 14 is again. So he's, he's actually continuing on with a conversation uh, uh, with respect to the stories that he's already just told. And he's already said, these are the kinds of things that I'm looking for in, I'm looking for people in, a, in the community that's watching for my return, to be people who are, are committed to, to, to the performance of their duty and preparedness. 
But in this particular text, he's, in this particular parable, he sort of caps off with the significance of being busy for the Lord and, and what, what that really looks like and, and um, production and improvement and, and words that I really love like winning and gaining and doing and risking and, and stretching and movement and momentum. And all of that's contained in this parable, which is really exciting to, to, to uh, if you're grabbing hold of it and if you're embracing all that Christ has given to you, then, then this is an exciting parable to, to read and, and realize what's in store for you. On the other hand, there's a significant warning in this parable. And all of us should take heed of it. Matthew 25, 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. That's an important phrase. Each according to his ability or her ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's or hid hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of Christ. Our Father, I pray this morning as we take time to unpackage this parable and reflect upon it and apply it, I pray that the guidance of the Holy Spirit will be obvious and evident. And that you will be pleased, Father, to probe into our hearts. And that our hearts will be responsive. This is an important message for each one of us. These are um, the parting stories, the parting lessons, the parting urgencies of Christ before he went away. These are the things that he wanted us to, to remember and never forget. These are the things he wanted us to know as we anticipate his return. So I pray this morning, Father, that we will not be distracted by other thoughts, but that you, by the, by the power of the Spirit of God, our 
thoughts and focus will be lasered upon the message that you have for us. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really, I, I think this is a good introduction to how big happens, how go big happens. I, 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 I'd like to stress at the very front end that maybe you're feeling like your, your, uh, your spiritual life has come to some sort of plateau. You just don't feel like you're really moving forward. You're not growing in the Lord. And I just want to make a global comment on, on that whole issue. And, and I can tell you that, that service is a key issue in the growth of every believer. And, and I'll say that as just an overriding statement for one simple reason. You can't serve Christ without relying upon him. And when you have to rely upon Christ, you definitely grow in Christ. That's what makes it so key for you. So if you find that you've bumped up against something, you're just not moving forward, you ought to analyze, maybe, maybe I'm not doing really anything for Christ. Maybe I'm not serving him. Because that's the, the essence of, of having to rely and to depend on, on him. You know this. When you're teaching a Sunday school class, whatever you're doing for the Lord, you know, I need the Lord. The projects are always too big for us. So we have to rely upon him, and he grows us in that experience of, of having to rely on him. I, I think in terms of have, having, uh, in, in enabling us to understand this parable, if you just turn back to a verse that, that set up these three parables in a row, the, the question that's, that's asked and we need to answer is verse 45 of chapter 24, who then is the faithful and wise servant? That's the question we want to answer this morning. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who among us in this room Jesus is asking, who among you are faithful and wise servants? This is what it's going to look like. I, I want to share with you and, and have you embrace uh, six, uh, I think, points that Christ makes in this parable that will help us to answer that very question. And the first is this. In the kingdom of God, production matters. All right? I, I know that sometimes we joke around with each other. Why is it such a big deal about the nickels and numbers and all of that stuff? I got to tell you, it matters to Jesus. Production matters to Christ. When you look at this text, and, and as you've even heard the parable, and just a cursory um, um, understanding of the parable, and just a plain reading of it, it's very obvious that Jesus is all excited about returns on investment. Production matters, growth matters. To Jesus. Therefore, it ought to matter to us. And so um, we, we have this, this sense that sometimes, you know, uh, we just need to get saved and cruise our way into heaven. And, 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 and in truth, it matters very much to Christ, production, moving forward. And, and the point here is that this man, it says, has gone away on a journey. And he's entrusted his property to his servants. And he's implying, of course, that he's going to come back and check on how things have gone. And, of course, the man who's going away on the journey is not none other than Jesus Christ himself. He says, I'm, I'm going away and I'm going to come back. And what are you going to do in the meantime? As you understand that production matters, in the kingdom of God, it's about recruitment first into the kingdom of God. And then accountability for how you have lived in that kingdom. This traveler goes away. He comes a second time to check the quality of our service. Now, we also know, of course, in, in, in understanding this and in being in the kingdom of Christ, it means that you have to have had a, a, a personal life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. You've been saved. Now, have you been saved? 
It's not possible for you to serve Christ until you first have come to know Christ as your Savior. Have, have you come to know Him? Have you, have you come to understand that, that He died for your sins on the cross of Calvary, that you might have sins forgiven, be saved from your sins, and brought into the amazing kingdom of Christ? That's available to you today by His grace. He extends the invitation. Come unto me, all you who are heavy, burdened, and weary, and labored, and come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me. To be saved. And we are all put on equal footing at salvation. But we are saved to serve. We are saved from sin. And we are called to service. And by the way, as you read the text, you realize that while we are all equal in Christ in salvation, we are not all equal in Christ in service. Some he gives five talents, some he gives two talents, some he gives one, according to various abilities, which are not all the same. But we are called to service. The message that Matthew is hearing here is Jesus saying, everyone is called to service, according to your ability. And the word ability there, of course, is the word that is dunamis in Greek, which is according to your power. Now, I want to pause here for one second as a parenthetical thought and just point out why I said to you it's so important with the the idea of ability, the matching of ability and what God has given you and opportunities, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But know this, that our abilities change over time and circumstances. It's very important that you hear that. It's very important that you understand that, that you, um, a, a mother loaded up with six little tots all over the place, pulling every part of her is in a different circumstance than once the house is empty. Abilities change. Abilities change according to our financial abilities. And so I I need you to understand that, or else you'll uh, lose or feel somehow amazingly guilty at the end of the sermon because you're not doing enough. Please understand that, that Christ is matching with abilities. Those vary with time and circumstances and issues. Also, I want you to notice that our service ability is from God and for God. The man, it says in verse 16, who had received the five talents, he went to work for his master and his property. He's entrusted, we've been entrusted with the property of another. And by the way, that increases the seriousness of things, don't you think? I don't know about you, but when I borrow people's stuff, I always feel a lot more unnerved than when it's my own stuff. Don't you feel that way? It's like, oh, I'm not, you know, I, please don't anybody touch this. I borrowed it. And, and, and uh, so when you understand that Christ is saying here that, that the Father in heaven has entrusted, this is the look of the landscape, he's entrusted his property to us and then given us this privilege of serving with all the resources, serviceabilities from God and for God. And by the way, receiving always precedes doing. You have to receive from Christ. Grace always precedes work. Grace, capital G, R-A-C-E, the gift of God to each of us, always precedes the working for God. But please let me say it this way. But grace always precedes work. 
W-O-R-K, capital. That's why James spilt a fair bit of ink in his epistle in chapter 2, verses 14 and following. To make mention that uh, anybody who is simply assuming that faith without works is genuine faith is sadly mistaken. In fact, dangerously mistaken. In fact, I think it behooves us to hear it from his own words. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? James 2 verse 14. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You don't really have it. James says, if, if you're not acting upon the faith you claim to have, you don't really have it. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together or in concert. And his faith was made complete by what he did. In the kingdom of God, production matters. But secondly... This is how it works, how growth happens. God's ministry growth plan is to match opportunity with ability. You see, he matches the talents with ability. That's the picture you get here. Now, I I suspect that some of you can hardly get past the fact that one guy got one talent. And some of you are probably stuck right there. And and if I don't deal with it, you say, well, God's unfair. I can't get past the fact that the one guy got one talent. What's with that? And the other guy gets five, the other guy gets two. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sort of stranded here, Rick, and unless you deal with that, I can't move on. I, I was assuming that might be happening. You, you need to know something about the measurement of a talent. A talent was the highest amount of money in the Greek accounting system. In fact, a talent was equal to 6,000 Now, you can do various readings on ancient culture, and they will give you various uh, statements about the actual amount I'm saying. So I've taken the lowest amount that I've ever read. Some say 10,000. So I've given you the lowest amount, all right? 6,000 denarii. Now, if you read in the New Testament, you'll find out that a common laborer for a day's wages would make one denarii. Now, the one guy who got one talent has been given an extravagant amount already. He's been given literally 20 years worth of wages. Anybody would feel good about that? I feel real good about that. I mean, if Jesus walked up to me this morning and said to me, Rick, I'm giving you 20 years worth of wages, I'd be, I'm feeling really good about that. Even if he said, but I gave Calvin 60 years wages. I wouldn't be like, oh, what? Kelvin got 60 years of wages? I only got 20 years? I'd be like, 20 years of wages? I'm good with that. I can go retire. Well, not actually in this parable, though. 
supposed to serve. But that's the value. That's the value that we have here. It's, it's an amazing, an amazing amount. Amazing amount. An extravagant amount. Generosity upon generosity. So each of you who is in the kingdom of Christ, to come to salvation in Christ in this room, has been given at least an extravagant amount with which to serve God. Do you understand that? An extravagant amount. And so, um, as a Christian, we, the truth is, it's a you get to go big thing for all of us. There's none of us in here who say, well, you know, I'm kind of too insignificant. I don't have, I don't know what it takes. I don't have enough. No, no, every single one. When, I, when I'm saying we're going on a, on a journey together on Go Big, I'm not just talking about a few of us in here. I'm saying to you that according to what I understand about the scriptures and how gracious and generous God is, that every single one of us in here can go big. Every single one. There, there's an extravagant world of opportunity in the kingdom of Christ, and an extravagant resource in God through his Holy Spirit. So we can all go big and see amazing things. He's entrusted us, his property, my father's world, the look of his landscape. He's entrusted with us, now watch this, a limitless scope of opportunities for effective, fruitful ministry totally at each of our disposal and invites us to match our abilities and enablements to those opportunities. That's the growth plan. That's what the whole talents means. It would be wrong for all of us to say, well, let's limit this talent idea to if we have money. That's not what this is all about. Talent, parable, the whole thing is an illustration that Jesus has profoundly left us that we can generally apply to our lives and understand how the kingdom of Christ operates. God has set before us his whole creation of opportunities to advance the cause of Christ and has matched against that a resource that's amazing for each of us according to our unique abilities to step forward and say, count me in. That's the deal. That's the go big growth plan of God. And it's for each of us. And, and, and we have to ask the questions of ourselves. Are we a five-talent church? Are you a five-talent person? Are you a two-talent person? I mean, it matters that you, that you step up according to your ability, where you are, what resources you have, where you are in life, what experiences you have gained, where you can best meet the opportunities that Christ puts before you and step forward and say, count me in. Because what I like about it in the, in, the, in the third point here is, in God's kingdom, there's an invitation to every believer to be mobilized toward risky initiatives. Did you know that? It's a count me in proposition. Now, there are op- opportunity for each of us to go for it. Go big. Or I was going to say, or go home. Well, I, I can tell you this. That what the message is, is go big and then go home. But don't go home before you've gone big. Or you might not be going home. So he is saying here that, that, that clearly it's a risky initiative. Because the guy with one talent went and buried it. He was afraid. He was hiding. You don't hide. You're not afraid unless something's risky. Unless something takes some effort. Unless something's a little bit unnerving. 
So Jesus says, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be without the requirement of faith. It's not going to be without the requirement of, of amazing reliance and dependence upon God. It's not going to be as if it's something you can manage by your own vision. It's something that you're going to see that this is way bigger than me. But the difference between the five and the two talent and the one talent person is how they responded to the opportunities that were set before them. It says in the text that at once, at once, verse 16, when he received the talent, at once he put his money to work and gained five more. And also the same with the guy with two talents. And so you have this this movement, this generous response, this extreme generous response. To the, to the extreme generosity and grace of God. There's excitement and passion. These are the kinds of people that Christ is anticipating, have been called into his kingdom, that when they understand the opportunities and the ability that they have through the power of God's Holy Spirit, enabling them to, to match these opportunities, at once they say, hey, count me in. And then with passion and excitement, they put it to work. And God causes it to multiply. Over against the other guy who goes off, digs a hole, and hides his talent. It's the difference between giving my kids the car and telling them to go have fun. They go gladly, with excitement, with enthusiasm, with passion. They go to entertain themselves. Or when I give them my lawnmower and ask them to serve me. I get home uh, from one of my travels and uh, Jordan had been given the assignment of cutting the grass. And I get home and he tells me the lawnmower broke. <laughs> Where is that little guy? <laughs> I, give him one, I give him a responsibility, he goes and hides it. I went out in the garage and pulled the thing and it worked. Strange. <laughs> the difference is the, uh, the guy whose one talent is, is not using his resources to help anybody. To advance the cause of Christ. To seize any opportunities. Just staying close. Hunkering down. Protecting what he has. Playing it safe. Keep what we have approached opportunities. Jesus says to him, you know what? I mean, burying it is the safest thing you can do. If it's your property, you can do with it whatever you want. But the kingdom of God, the gifts and abilities and resources and opportunities of the kingdom of God don't belong to us. They belong to another. And we haven't been invited to bury any of it. So, um, someday it says here, after a long time, verse 19, the master of those servants returns. Jesus is hinting at the general framework of of his return. It's going to be a while. That's been 2,000 years. Maybe the time is up. Five-talent man gained five more, doubled his profits. The two-talent man gained two more, doubled his profits. They received praise. 
from Christ, good and faithful servant. Notice, right goal, right praise, good, faithful, all kinds of praise from Christ. They receive a promotion. You know why? Because the present day ministry risks are setups for future eternal rewards. You understand that? If you thought that, uh, that heaven was going to be sort of relaxing on a, a, some sort of celestial chaise lounge with angel food cake and Shirley temples, you're wrong. The setup now is for eternity. Heaven works. Now, I, 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 I suspect some of you are going, wait a second, I'm like tired. <laughs> no, but what if I could tell you that someday you're not going to be tired? You're going to have all the limitations gone. You're going to have nothing but zest and energy, nothing conflicting, no physical conflicts, nothing. You won't want to be laying around in a chaise lounge. You are going to be at it with the vigor that you've never imagined. And it's going to be based upon how faithful and committed you were now. Christ is fair about the rewards of the future. He says, I'm going to give you many things. You say, wait a second, there was that five guy and there was that two guy. Is he going to get the same things as the five guy? Actually, yes. It says in the text that you were faithful in a few things. I'm giving you many things. And, and not only that, we're going to be invited to the appreciation banquet of all appreciation banquets. It says there you're going to be invited into the happiness of the Father. Praise, promotion. The kind of words that all of us love. Come on, let's be honest. When you don't get enough praise, or you don't get enough promotions, you kind of get depressed. Nobody notices, nobody cares what I do. Nobody's even thanked me. Come on, let's be honest with each other. We don't want to be hyper-spiritual right now. We all like it. We all enjoy the fact that somebody cares, somebody praises us, somebody promotes us for good work. Jesus knows what you're doing. Fifth, the grave peril is that the one talented person thinking that one talented people don't matter. Here's the scary point. Do you notice here, the the one talent person comes, kind of thinks, I guess, that he's going to be okay. And he says in verse 24, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in ground. See, here it is. Here is what belongs to you. Now, we we need to unpackage this. I've always been curious about what is he talking about? How was, how did he think he was justifying himself? Um, the one talent guy seemed to think or convinced himself that God is so powerful and so sovereign that he doesn't need little old me. See, he says, uh, you know, you are one who can harvest without even planting seeds. Why would you therefore need me to go and plant seeds? Why don't you just do it yourself? And so you see this man who is trying to cover up for his fears or his laziness. Jesus calls it laziness. For his fears and his laziness comes up with a doctrinal and theological solution and idea. I know what I'll tell God. I'll tell him, hey, you know what I learned in Sunday school? I learned that you're powerful and sovereign and that you can do all things and that you spoke the universe into existence. So guess what? I didn't think that I really needed to do anything because why would I need to do anything? You can do it all yourself. Or maybe. 
and maybe, he had had so many knocks in life, frustrations, disappointments, suffering that had been unanswered, unexplained. And maybe there was within him a core of bitterness toward God. You're a hard man, he says. Life is hard. And my heart turned away from you. And when you invited me to serve with my meager little gifts, I thought, why should I? Is it going to matter? You know, is anybody ever going to notice? You know, it's sad because that guy probably somewhere in life had become afraid to take a risk. So he had learned to to just hold everything, hunker down. But the truth of the story is not that we're supposed to feel sad for this guy because in truth, he had never understood the generosity of God. He had never recognized the endless and limitless pouring out of the goodness and kindness of God, which, by the way, in this particular story, the reward, the praise, and the promotion doesn't arrive until the master comes back. You hear me? For all we know, the five-talent and the two-talent person, they never got any thanks on earth. Nobody ever said, thank you so much for serving. Thanks for pouring your life into my life. Here's a promotion. You've done such a great job here on earth. I'm going to give you a promotion. Maybe they never heard that. But their hearts were so full of authentic faith and realization of the grace and mercy of God. If he's done nothing else but save me, I'm a rich man. The grave peril, because by the way, most of us, most of us are probably one talent people. And the grave peril is to think that, you know what, there are so many other really talented people who are really doing great things. God's not going to miss me. I'm just going to sit it out. I'm going to wait for him to return. Jesus said, look it, you lazy, wicked servant. At the very least, you should have put it in the bank. Because I want some production. It doesn't have to be burdensome, Jesus says. It didn't have to be viewed as hard labor. Just don't bury it. Three things Jesus doesn't like. And I always want to know what Jesus doesn't like. He doesn't like a lack of adventure. He doesn't like an unwillingness to take risks. And he doesn't like a preoccupation with one's own security. At least that's what I've gleaned out of this parable. Jesus wants each of you and me to go big. Because when we do, we are declaring how big we think God is. I mean, if we take on only what we think we can manage by our natural ability, what's that saying about God? 
But when we risk, when we seize an opportunity to advance the cause of Christ, go up to the north end of the town and start a soccer program, not knowing where all the resources are going to come from, not knowing where all the manpower resources are going to come from, not knowing if anybody's even going to show up, we have declared that we are totally dependent upon God. And we believe that he cares that his cause is advanced. Things that go forward in this community in Jesus' name matter. Surprise. God shows up. Final point. It's not just use your opportunity or lose your opportunity. It's use your opportunity or lose eternal life. Now, again, I didn't go away on sabbatical and lose my theology of eternal security. Perseverance of the saints is which I, what I prefer, actually. This parable is not making a doctrinal statement about perseverance of the saints. I want you to notice a phrase that Jesus uses that's key to understanding this. In verse 29, he says this, Whoever does not have... Okay? You see that? There are all kinds of people who have been hanging out in the Christian community. All kinds of people have been hanging out in Christian churches. All kinds of people who have been thinking that they're part of the family of God. They're calling him Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus. Came to church to hear Jesus. Sitting, listening to great worship services. Thinking that someday, even calling him Master when he returns. And Jesus is saying, if you sat it out, you didn't have in the first place. You never had. And then he says, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The truth is, if you don't match the opportunities God sends your way with the ability he has given you by the power of God's spirit, you're in serious jeopardy of declaring that you don't have authentic faith at all. Active, risky service is a telltale sign of real, genuine Authentic faith. And I'm excited about Calvary Baptist Church and the passion we have here for serving Christ. I'm excited about the risks we have taken. You know, in a few weeks I'm going to India, not because I need more work, but because it's an opportunity that presented itself against an ability that apparently some people think that I have, and we matched it. And you go and do it. And believe me, it's a huge risk for me. Indian food, are you kidding me? (laughs) But I'm counting on Jesus making it up to me in heaven. (laughs) And, And that's the way it is with every one of us in here, and, and our, our passion as a church. I, I, we are a five-talent church, and what's required of us is great. We can do things 
because God enables us to do things. God has graced us with uh, amazing abilities to do great things. And by the way, uh, you, you might think I'm so- standing up here sounding real prideful and all of that. You know what? Jesus doesn't mind it. There are times when it's okay. The, these guys came to Jesus and said, Hey, we know that you gave us something, but look what we did. And Jesus doesn't say in some sort of pious spirituality, Wait a second. Look what Jesus did through you. No, no, he he accepted it. They acknowledged that it came from God. But they also were excited about what they did. And Jesus said, well done. What you did is good and faithful. And so we need to be celebrating and praising and excited about what Christ has given us to do. And do it with all our hearts and step forward quickly. So what are you, we doing, with ministry opportunities that match your, our abilities? Pastor Steve, that's the question I want to leave with you. That's who we are. Father, thank you so much for kicking off this new term of ministry with this challenge. And I pray, Father, that God's people here will take up the challenge. First, to come to know you personally. And then when we do, with enthusiasm and passion and excitement, to put to work our ability. In your name we pray. Amen.